Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. It must be the eclipse because we've got something special today. Do, do, do. It is the <laughs> show. That was my weak ass attempt at a <laughs> trumpet. Um, this is a show you guys have been waiting for. We have been promising you with, I know you've been waiting with bated breath and lots of stress um, for our student loan episode. We what? have been, I've been collecting your questions for the last, what is it like one or two months? Yeah, because we've been promising and not delivering. <laughs> no, no, no. We hey, hey, we're on schedule. We said August. We found our expert. We worked this yeah. out. <laughs> Give us some credit. Um, the show is free. All right. Exactly. Uh, so we have your questions. We've combed through the reader, uh, the listener mailbox. We've come up with a ton of questions, and we're here today with our expert. We've promised she'd be on the show, and she's finally here, Miss Angela Housey. From Hattiesburg, Mississippi, she is the founder and CEO of the Financial Literacy Institute, which is a nonprofit organization Angela started to help families before, during, and after the college experience figure out how to pay for it. Angela, welcome. Yes, I'm so excited. <laughs> Angela is like my she's my personal secret weapon. Like we've been working on my student loan debt, and we're at almost at the finish line of like getting a significant portion um, forgiven. So Angela, I'm super excited that you're here. Thank you. I'm super excited to be here. This is awesome, and I'm super excited to answer the questions of of, of your followers. I this I is- want to jump right in. Can we? Yeah. Okay. Are y'all down with that? We've all got you know we're all we're all comfy. We're ready to go. Mm-hmm. Yes. All right. So we've got. A ton of questions, Angela. Yeah. I know you've seen these already. You're prepared. Um, let's start with a question on, I feel like a lot of people who are struggling to make their payments on time, we got several questions from people who are in that exact situation. So I'll start with a question from Casey. Um, her question is, what can someone do if they're in a position where they've defaulted on the rehabilitation program for debt con- for their student loan debt? If they defaulted on these on a student loan rehabilitation program, they need to call the default the rehabilitation stu- student loan program. Call, I have a number for them to call. Because um, even though you defaulted the first time, they will allow you to uh, try it again. But the second time, you really need to make the payments. Okay. If you're having issues with the payments, um, then you would have to speak with the ombudsman at the student loan, studentloans.gov. But I do have a phone number for you. For you to call is 1-800-621-3115. Let's back up though, Angela. Can you talk about, I think some people may not know what this is even talking about. So the rehabilitation program for student loan debt, for federal student loan debt. What is this program and what should people know about it? Well, this is a program to for people who have student loans and, and they couldn't make their student loan payments. And so they fell behind and then they wanted to default. Well, default is a place where you do not want to be because it affects your overday, your everyday life's uh, daily activities. Because they, they can garnish your wages, uh, they can take your, your income tax return. So when a, when a student is placed in default, they are allowed to go into the rehabilitation program to whereas you can pay as little as $5 per month for 10 months. And once you do that, then they will put you back in rotation and you're eligible to begin paying your regular student loan payments, whether it be $50, $100 or, or $200. Um, 
And if you defaulted again, then they will allow you to come back into the rehabilitation program one more time um, to get rehabilitated again. But you must have a a good reason why you defaulted. If okay. it was because you uh, you got unemployed or an emergency happened, or you have to have a good a doctor excuse or something to that effect to show why you defaulted, and then they will let you rehabilitate again. So we're talking about oh, this is for only federal loans, not for private loans. No, private loan is just what it is. It's, it's a private loan. Let's take a, a question from listener Anastasia. Um, this is another question about missing payments on your student loan debt, but it's a little bit different. So Anastasia says, when I graduated from college in my undergrad, I thought student loan debt didn't matter. So I paid my loans when I felt like it. Um, sometimes that would be once a month, sometimes once every three to six months. Now I'm wiser and I understand that I need to pay my loans on time, but I don't know the best way to get caught up. What tips do you have on making student loans current? And what is the best way to tackle my debt knowing that I'm several months behind? The first thing I would do is look at my loans and I would consolidate. I would consolidate my loans so I can start open B on time. I would be current. And the mm. second thing that I would do was put them on automation. That's one of the things that Tiffany talked about in, in the Liberature Academy, automation. And when you put your loans on automation, they will actually reduce your payment uh, from 0.25%. Uh, so that's what so, yeah. so if I, so if, if, okay, so say she has three different loans. Mm-hmm. If she consolidates, it'll be like she's starting over with a brand new loan that was never late. If she consolidate, if she's behind, she's going to go in default. So she wants to consolidate anyway. So if she's already, because she cannot continue to be behind and not pay, they're going to come after her. So she's going to have to consolidate to get her loans up to, up to par. Because if you just, go ahead. Are you allowed to consolidate your, your federal loans if you've missed payments, if she's three to six months behind? Yes. You can still consolidate. Okay. Okay. And then so if she'll, okay, so she's going to consolidate and what will it, it'll do is instead of having two or three payments, she'll now have one. She'll now have one payment. And then once she has one payment, since she's having a problem with paying them on time, she should look at putting them in automation. And doing so, she will reduce her, her financial aid debt because they will deduct 0.25% off her student loan um, because it's getting automated. Ah, smarty arty. All right. So let's see. I feel like everybody's like in default. (laughs) I'm like looking at some. Okay. Here's a good one. This is a deferment question from Kim. She said, my husband deferred his student loan debt last year in July and we need to defer again. Will it be approved? What are our options? His student loan debt is $100,000. Absolutely. It would be approved. You have to, you have up to three years uh, for deferment. You can have deferment if you just can't make the payment and they'll ask you, are you having a hardship? And then if you say yes, then they'll give you a deferment that can last for three years. You can have an unemployment um, deferment. There are different types of um, deferments that you can have. You can have a medical um, deferment. So, yes, you can have a deferment. If you only have one year, you have two years left of deferment. So here's something that you told me, Angela, and I wish I would have known. So I was deferring when I wasn't making any money. And you're like, oh, if you would have known, you could have enrolled in the income-based repayment program because then my payments would have actually been $0. Yep, that's true. If you don't have to defer, if, just like with your case, Tiffany, had you put your loans in the public service loan forgiveness program earlier, six years would have been already taken care of. But you didn't know, so you kept deferring your payments. Mm-hmm. Which really cost you six years of free of prepayments. Yeah. Darn it. Because even though get- it's zero balance, it's still a payment. Yeah, you get that, of, Mandy? Yeah, a lot of people don't know. So we talked about public service loan forgiveness, and we've got a couple questions under that program too. But real quick, people don't un- – so the key here is if you want to even be eligible for the federal loan forgiveness options, you have to – be enrolled in one of the income-driven repayment plans. And that doesn't mean, so if you defer or your loans are in forbearance, those you're not enrolled in that program and you're not going to be eligible um, for the loan forgiveness programs. That's the key that's I think correct. people don't understand. That's what, that's what, that's what happened with you, Tiffany, right? Mm-hmm. I, did, I didn't know that, well, one, I, I didn't know that I, because when I first tried to apply for the forgiveness program, it had, it was no longer like it was earlier and they were like, Oh no, that was under president Clinton. You know, this president has canceled that or whatever. And I was like, Oh man. And then when I couldn't afford, 
I deferred because I thought, well, that's what you do. I didn't realize that because my income was next to nothing, they could have actually set my payment um, in accordance to my income and my payment would have been $0 a month, an actual payment of $0. And then it could have looked like, hey, Tiffany made you know, five years of $0 payments when I was really struggling. And that would have counted toward my forgiveness, which is 10 years. And I could have been like, I, I have, cause what do I have, Angela? Three years of, of um, yeah, three years. Left, yep. Yes. I could have had six instead of, and forgiven like 60% of my student loan debt versus just 30%. That's the true. more you know. I know. The more you know, the more you're pissed. Well, why don't we jump into a, a question from a listener, Grace, because she has a specific question about public service loan forgiveness, which everyone is sort of nervous about because there's a potential with Trump's education budget that it may be going away after 2018. So uh, lots of questions on this. So this is Grace's question. Grace says, I'm worried about the security of this perfect service loan program. Um, I have seven to eight years left to make payments to be eligible. Um I'm going to try and English fire her question. Basically, um, if I were to qualify for loan forgiveness, I would be forgiven about $12,000 of loans plus interest. But if I were to refinance, I could save between six dollars to $10,000 over the life of the loan if I do it now. So I'm wondering if it's in my best interest to stick out with the public service loan forgiveness program and hope Congress doesn't pull it or just switch over now, refinance and get my savings that way. Okay, so I did speak with um, I did speak with the senators here in the state of Mississippi, and as long as you're in the program, you will not be um, dismissed from the program. So if Trump were to, but we were told that he wasn't, um, because it's just talk. It's nothing has been a bill, nothing has been to the Senate, nothing has made it to where it need to be to be canceled. Um, so at this time, if you are in the program, the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program, they cannot kick you out the program as long as you in there before um, the next period. Um, I can't foresee the future, but I can just I can only share with you what I what was told to me that the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program is still vital and it will continue to be. Um, so I'm, I'm telling my clients now, if they want to get into the public service loan forgiveness program, now is the time to get in it. And if you are in the public service forgiveness program, I will stay in it. So just for you guys who don't realize, like Angela, what I love about Angela is that she's not just an, an expert. Uh, she's really committed. Like you, you went, did, what was it? Congress? Where did you, you were just in DC. I, I went to Washington DC. I was in the chair with, with, I was at a meeting with secretary uh, of commission, um, Munchen. We had a meeting as it relates to the student loans and financial literacy. I was, I was there at the table with them, uh, gathering information about the student loans. Um, about what's going on in our society as it relates to uh, a lot of citizens, all citizens, actually. Um, and this is what I was told, that the the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Program will continue um, at this time. So whoever's in the program took a stay in the program. And if they still want to get in the program, to go ahead um, to apply for the program. Um, so yeah. I do travel. I travel to D.C. I be in the meetings. I, I meet with my, my senators monthly. Uh, to acquire on information as it relates to uh, financial literacy and student loans. I really identify with her question because it is, it is like you can't predict the future and we have a man baby for a president now. So it's like <laughs> any, any whim, he could try something. But you're right. And according to his proposed budget, even if the loan forgiveness program is done away with, um, anyone who's taken out loans before July 1st, 2018 will remain in the program. July 1st, 2018. So mm -hmm. um, it won't affect people who are currently enrolled. And the first step to get enrolled in, and first we said earlier, just to recap, the first step to get enrolled in public service loan forgiveness is to make sure that you're actually enrolled in one of these income-driven repayment plans. That's step one. And then Angela, from there, how do people get in, how do they take the next step to get enrolled in, in the public service loan forgiveness program? Well, they'll look at their income and see where they fall. So they may want to go into the, the pay-as-you-earn. And, and then when they go to the pay-as-you-earn income, um, or they may want to, you have to do four. Is it pay-as-you-earn, a revised pay-as-you-earn, or is the income-based repayment program or, or the, the income contingent program? And you decide which program you want to be in. Um, 
the the pay as you earn, which is the one I recommend, is just they count 10% of your income and that's how they base your payments on. So you can do that for the next 10 years. Um, if you want to do the income-based uh, pay, repayment program, that that depends on when you receive your loans and the debt to ratio. So that can be up to where from 10% to 15%. But um, you can do the income contingent program as well, but that's using 20% of your income. So the best one out there, if you're going to do your public service loan forgiveness program, is the revised pay as you earn. But you look at your amount of money that you make and you look at how much debt you owe. And um, there is a chart. I don't know if you, well, you can't see the chart, but there is a chart. Maybe it's a link that we can put out for the, for the people to see. And they can look at the chart, um, Tiffany and, and Mandy. And that way they have something to view uh, to see which program that they think would be best for them. Okay. And where can that chart be found? On, on studentloan.gov? Yeah, the chart is on studentloan.gov. And I also sent a PDF for you guys to download. I don't know if you can download it somewhere. Okay. I've got the PDF. I'll make sure it's available when we post the podcast at brownambition.com. Plug. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> that means go there, guys. So, Angela, um, you just described a few of the different repayment programs. But then from there, do you contact your loan servicer to make sure? You have to make sure that your employer is eligible for public service loan forgiveness, right? Well, yeah. Well, it's the government. you got to be working for a government entity. Or a nonprofit, right? Yeah, or a nonprofit. Can you give us some examples of like of, of traditional and non-traditional ways that people qualify? Like, like um, okay, we know I'm a teacher that that qualifies, but what are some ways that people typically and non-typically qualify? Well, if, if you're okay, so typically, typically you qualify if you work for the government. If you, especially the Fed banks, if you work for a federal bank, you qualify. They got to be a federal bank. If you are a teacher, a doctor, the lawyers, the um, the nurses, the fire, firemen, um, you have people who, um, you can work at a gas station. Remember I told you that? It, yeah, that's the non-typical. Those are the ones I want to hear about those. So yeah. share, share some of the non, so a gas station attendant, why, why would they qualify? Well, not the gas station, I'm sorry, the, at a liquor store, because it's like a federal entity, because they got the alcohol, like the distribution. Okay. And so that's, that qualifies you to, to work at the public service loan forgiveness program. It does. Now, um, of course, the nonprofit organizations, you can even if you were to go and, and help out, um, you have to get paid for it. It does not have to be a full payment, but you will have to get paid for your time, at least 30 hours a week at a nonprofit organization uh, to be considered for the, the public service and forgiveness program. OK. Awesome. Um, I actually want to tackle part two of Grace, Grace's question, because I know a lot of people have this question, too, but. How, if I if I refinance my student loan debt, this is Grace's second question. Um, if I refinance my student loan debt, what's the difference between fixed rates or variable rates? Well, the, of course, the fixed rate is going to stay the same. So if it's six point eight percent, that's what her, what your rate is. But your variable rates they have a chance to, to fluctuate. So they only will go up. They can go up to seven point two percent or either up to eight point nine percent, depending on who continue to buy your loans. So you want to make sure that when your loans are transferred, when you when you um, refinance your loans, that they have the right amount and you know what your interest rate is because it will continue to climb. So the fixed rate, which is is fixed once you get it, um, like the 6.8. But if you get into the income contingent program, it'll go up 2% every year. Like it'll, you'll see it climb 0.2%. It'll go up. It can go from 4% to 25% of your, of your gross monthly income. Is this, but what the, when you refinance your student loans, though, you, you're getting a private loan, though, right? Well, those are federal. Yeah, yeah if, if that is a private loan. If you're going to refinance them, her question is, she's going to refinance them with who? She who doesn't she say. Re- she doesn't say. Oh, well, okay. I don't know. If she refinanced them with a the bank, then, you know, that's their, whatever their protocol is, whatever late she breaks she gets in, and she's getting a variable one, then, yes, her, her loans is going to escalate. But if she's getting a fixed rate, then they have to stay at that same rate at 6.8% or 5.2%. I don't know. I don't know what her credit score is. So I would definitely will have will want to have a fixed rate because I want to know what I'm paying out each month. Because if it's a private loan, then they, they cannot compound her interest at 1.1% every day. 
Yeah, I think with variable rates, um, they they tend to be like lower on paper, and they try mm-hmm. and tempt you mm-hmm. with that lower rate. But mm-hmm. yeah, you have to you have to understand that they can jack that rate up anytime, anytime they want to. And it seems like rates are rising now, so it's a uh, it's a little bit riskier than usual to go for yeah. that variable rate. Hey, BA fam, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. Are you a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. That's true. So we actually have a question about grad school. Um, this is a question I hear a lot because I went to grad school much to my dismay um, because I'm still paying for it. <laughs> she says, I'm interested in going to graduate school. This is Chanel to pursue a master's degree in public health. She was fortunate to fin- finish her undergraduate degree with zero debt. That was me for the most part. Now that I'm thinking about grad school, the question of debt and how I will finance my education is my biggest barrier to applying. Funding for a master's degree is typically limited. Loans are standard. What tips or advice can you give on how to finance a graduate degree? Most programs are two years, about $13,000 per semester, not including housing. Wow. Okay, so that's great. If she's going to stay on campus, because she said it's not including housing, mm-hmm. um, she can always use her GPA, her ASAT score, and the SAT score. So I would first recommend the McGraw-Hills uh, book. It's, it's ACT and SAT book for her to study to boost her scores up so she can get some free scholarship money from that entity. And then, of course, my favorite, Tiffany, as you know, is the assistantship program. Mm-hmm. The assistantship program is located in her dean office. So she stated that she is going into the health occupation department. If her GPA is 3.0 or higher, uh, she has the possibility of earning an assistantship scholarship. This scholarship will pay you $800 to $1,000 per month. It will pay for your semester in your book, and you get to attend all of the Lunch and Learn uh, events that the school may have, and you would have to be an assistant to the professor. Okay. Um, the, those, those, those programs are limited, so you really want to go um, before the semester, next semester start, or the very first week of the semester as it starts. Okay. Is that like being a TA? Like you're working? Yes. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that with grad school, there are scholarships out there. Um, mm-hmm. But let's say, I mean, what what are the loan options for grad schools? I mean, you have federal plus loans, right? That's like the federal loan program. Are there any pros and cons to using student loans for grad school? Well, I wouldn't if I didn't have to. I mean, I really wouldn't. Um, because the federal plus loan, they're higher in interest rate. Um, and then it costs you more to attend uh, your master's program. If, if I could pay cash by master's program, I, I would. That's just me stating it. Unless my job would reimburse me. And those reimbursement act, I knew where I was headed. Um, and my employer would say that they would reimburse me, then absolutely I'll do it. Um, but I will make sure that I'm prepared for my master's program. And is it really worth going to school to get the master's program? Would I would really look at it to see the pros and cons would be, by me getting my master's program, would that really elevate um, my monetary packages? Or would it just make me stand out because I have a master? I mean, what what, what would I achieve by getting my master's? Because so oftentimes I run into students who receive their master's program and still making minimal wage. I mean, they're making 12 and $15 and they're like, it wasn't worth it. So. If you're going to get your master's program, would it really benefit you? Or I mean, I mean, I don't know. Uh, it depends on it depends on the uh, on the person, I suppose. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good research out there on on what the average salaries are, depending on like the field that you're entering. So I, I think that's something that I mean, I didn't do that when I went to college. And I but I but I feel like people are so much more aware now of the cost of school. And if you're not taking your your salary, your your expected salary into your compensation into consideration before taking out loans, it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I know. You're like, oh, I think I want to be a, you know, like a Spanish teacher. And then, like, I remember my Spanish teacher went to Princeton with loans. Oh, God. And when she got, <laughs> when she got out, she was like, that was not the smartest move. <laughs> because here you go to this amazing Ivy League school. And not to say being, obviously, I was a teacher, so I'm definitely not, you know, dogging teachers. But what I am saying is that there was no way that she was going to be able to make really enough to make those loans make sense. You know, and she was just like, her parents tried to tell her, but she didn't want to listen. I was like, mm, yeah. I mean, if, so. if I wasn't good at math, I'd be in a creative writing master's program right now. <laughs> like, the math, <laughs> is, the math is holding me back. The math is holding me back. <laughs> so let's answer this question from listener Jamila, who has an interesting question about student debt. Jamila says, I owe a student debt, but it's not a student loan. It's an amount left over from what tuition didn't pay. I was not notified about this debt, and now it's in collections. Collection says that I can't settle the debt and pay the whole debt before I – and I have to pay the whole debt before I can return to school. Is there a way around this? What is happening oh. here? Okay, so that's not a student loan debt. That is some, that's something she got charged from the school. You know, it could have been a – it could have been – um, dorm fees. It could have been something that, um, because like my daughter, case in point, her room was clean when she left, but she left another, she left another young lady in the in the dorm room, and the girl messed the room up. Well, they charged her a hundred dollars for the dorm fees, but see, she had to pay that in order to go back to school for the last semester. So that could have been some dorm fees. That could have been some school fees that she had. With the school, but that is not a student loan debt. That's what she's saying. It's not a student loan debt. And because the school put a hold on her account, she cannot attend any other school at this time. So the, the answer to her question is yes, she must pay that uh, amount to the school. Um, I, if I were her, I would go to the provost's office and, and speak with them and, and let them know that um, for whatever the circumstances was, that she didn't know she had this bill. There's anything that they can do so she can finish her education. If she would go and communicate with them, um, they may be a little lenient on her, but she would have to go and at least make the effort. So I will go to the provost's office. And she's uh, probably so confused. She thinks it's a student loan bill. Yeah. But it's something it's, from her school. Yeah, it's from her school. That's not a student loan debt. Right. Okay. okay. Interesting. Okay. I'm learning a I know, right? I'm learning, I'm learning. Angela, you're knocking these questions down like Mayweather. This is the money, this is the money team, right? Mayweather has the money team. I'm like, yeah, this is the Mayweather money team. <laughs> um, all right, so this question is from Dominique. Hey, Dom. All right, hope all is well. Love the podcast. We love you back. Um, it has uh, it has become instrumental in keeping me focused on financial freedom. Awesome. My question is about student loan debt. Of course it is. She is almost five years out of law school, and like many newish lawyers, she has a mortgage on her brain totaling $200,000, so that's what she owes. She's worked for the government for the last four and a half years. Um, my position qualifies me for public interest loan forgiveness, for the public interest loan for forgiveness program, which requires a total of 10 years in public service, um, so I'm halfway there. My term position with my current employer is ending, and I'm trying to figure out whether I should stay in government to get my loans forgiven or work for a big firm and make a salary that will allow me to pay back my loans back in approximately eight years. While it may seem like an obvious decision to stay in government to get my loans forgiven, I ultimately want to work in private practice, and the transition to, to private practice after 10 years in government can be extremely difficult, um, but not impossible. So... What what's the kind of like you know what do you think Angela? I really think she would need to 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 really weigh that because she wants to go into the she really wants to get out there and start to work. So I see what she's saying, but did she? I need her to um, to look at it's a link that I left for you guys. It's called an LRA and it's for lawyers, like a lawyer's repayment program. And usually what they do, they will pay for the student loans for the lawyer if they work. Uh, for the next two to three years in a rural area. 
Right. So if they were to work in a rural area, their loans would be forgiven, just like the teacher's loan would be forgiven if you work in a rural area. Well, this is true for lawyers as well. Yeah, and doctors, so right? There's a lot of doctors, teachers, yep. lawyers. Those are that's the trifecta, right? Yep. So uh, to just two to three years, not the ten years typically. No, just two to th it's two to three years, but she had to work in a rural area, and that and oftentimes, um, you know, a lot of people don't want to work in a rural area. They want to work in a prominent area. You know, it's prestigious. Um, but if they were to work in a rural area, then their loans can pretty much be forgiven. It's a sacrifice that you're willing to make. So that that's you're pretty much is your best outcome. So that's one avenue. Um, now, as far as a public service loan forgiveness program, she only got five years left. I probably would tough it out because her loans probably are way over two hundred thousand. I'm sure. That's what she said. I think, uh, I mean, this is this is partially a career question too, right? It's, yeah. it's should I sit here with the promise of getting s financial aid or should I take a chance? And I almost want to say, why aren't you just stay out there job hunting, looking to see what comes along? Maybe you'll get a, a position at a law firm that could potentially yeah. pay you enough to where you could smack out these loans in no time. It's not unheard of for lawyers who go in the private sector um, to have six-figure debt and then, you know, their first couple bonuses, like pay it yeah. down. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's smart to at least be looking and see what else is out there. And honestly, public service loan forgiveness, if you think about it, it was really created to incentivize people to work in the public sector, people who have a lot of debt. They don't want to lose the talent to the private sector mm -hmm. just because of debt. So if you don't want – like if it's not in your heart to work in the public sector, then you don't have to. Like just the, – the thing is you have a lot better chance in the private sector paying it off. But this program exists if you want to work in the public sector and not have to have this like – you know, this debt hanging over you. And can't she like, because uh, with me, Angela, like, you know, I didn't have my full 10 years, but you're working on getting me reduced based upon what I did do. Isn't that, is that available to her as well? It is. It's a very, it, to every student. So yes, yes, it is. So if she, she had five years in already, mm -hmm. but if she's offering a public service loan forgiveness program, here's the thing with that. If you're in a public service loan forgiveness program, you must complete the whole 10 years. Oh. Just because you're in five years, they don't cut your loan off. Okay. And, and, and one of the benefits about that is that usually the years to repay your loans is 25 years. So if, you, if you're if in a public service loan forgiveness program, you pay the 10 years and the 15 years will be forgiven. That's why it's a smart move to stay in there, especially if you already have five years in. Um, I, I would stay if, if, if it was me, unless... Unless you find you a, a job that is willing to maybe pay off your loans, because that's very possible if they really want you that bad, you know, they'll pay them off for you. Or I would definitely contact LRA and, and see what they can do as far as reducing my loans. But yes, Tiffany, that's it. So what, what's, the, what's the LRA website again? Uh, it's a link. Uh, it's called LRAS. It's, it's for lawyers. Okay. And um, I, I think Miss Mandy is going to drop it in her in the I'll, the brown I'll drop it in there. Um, actually, I love that she calls you Miss Mandy. I'm like, meanwhile, Mandy is like five years old. <laughs> Excuse me. I am in the Dirty you, 30 Club. You guys are so Southern. Miss Mandy's gonna. I'm like, Mandy, like now you're 80. <laughs> I love it. I love us. I love being called Miss Mandy. I think it's nice. Thank you, Miss Miss Angela. <laughs> Tiffany. I don't get none of that. Miss, you, up, you, up, you up north ladies, we don't get none of that. It's like, I just get the first name. Like, mm -hmm, you over there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Do you, you want to do what, Mandy? How many do you want to do to sweat? Let's a do another more? one. Uh, I, think that, I think we're on a roll. But before we move on to the next question, let's settle this mystery because Tiffany has told us all about how, Angela, you were able to help her get her loan forgiven. I have a theory that... Because, Tiffany, you didn't complete your full 10 years of qualifying payments underneath the public service loan forgiveness, right? Yeah. So this is what happened. I was a teacher for a number of years. But while I was a teacher, I did not make payments. I did not enroll in anything, but I also did not make 10 years worth of payments. I paid, what, how many? Three years, Angela? Yes. And then I met Angela. I was like, what? And she was like, oh, man, you shouldn't have deferred. You should have entered into income-based repayment because from age 29... So like three years ago, I was broke because I was starting the budget Nista and I didn't have any money. She was like, you could have had, you know, a payment of $10 to even $0 a month. And that would have counted toward your time in. And I was like, oh, man. So it's not that my whole student loan 
debt is being forgiven. What we're and we're still working on it because they my school was so small, the government had no record of it. So I had to get like my the old um um director to like do a letter to say, yes, the school existed. Here's the here's the um the EIN number. So that will erase. So I owe fifty thousand. And how much will it erase, Angel? About 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 eighteen to twenty thousand. That's correct. And so that's what we're that's what it's it's leaning toward now. And then I'll still owe thirty, but hey, twenty thousand dollars erased. So had I done income based repayment, I would have had how many years? Six years. You would have six years. Yeah. Yeah. So then I probably would have owed maybe like what ten thousand. That's it. Yep. And so, but I didn't. So, so here we are. So, so, but how was that? How are you eligible? Is it through, is it through the federal teacher loan forgiveness program? Like the separate, like the federal teacher loan forgiveness program, you work five years as a teacher at a title one school and then you're eligible. I'm just wondering. Cause well, it, well, well, that one, yes, see that one is only, you only get $17,500. But if you're in a public service loan forgiveness program, like Tiffany is in, you get the whole 10 years and then another 15 years forgiven. So the one that's what we're doing with Tiffany now because she's we doing since we're going this route we're going the five the seventeen thousand five hundred dollar route. See, but on top- okay, so that's the key, Tiffany. You're doing the federal teacher loan forgiveness program. I guess I don't know, girl. Mystery solved. <laughs> Mystery solved. Because Which is like, you know me, I'm like Angela's like fill this out, send this in, and I'm I like know. okay. You're like check, so- cast a check, don't ask any questions. But for our <laughs> listeners, because I have been trying to get to the bottom of this, and I'm excited because oh, oh, why? Okay. Because we have now a, uh, was- <laughs> go ahead. I was going to say we we created a guide to getting your student loan debt forgiven for teachers at Magnify Money. And as I was editing this guide, I'm like sitting here like, is this what she did? Because you can get seventeen thousand five hundred forgiven for under the federal teacher loan forgiveness program, which has been around for for since nineteen ninety eight or something like that. Got it. Yes, and then on top of that, what we're doing is once we get the loans and her balance on her loans, when we get the balance, when they pay the seventeen thousand five hundred, then I'm going to go in and I'm going to get her remaining balance reduced from ten to fifteen percent. Mm-hmm. So that's what, yep. Because Angela told me if I'm willing to pay, right? If I pay in full, right? Yep. So I know most people can't just like pay, you know, twenty five thousand dollars in full, but I'm a saver. I save all my little coins. And so I'm willing to do that in order to save. Because how much is that? What is like 30, 10% of 30, it's an additional 3000 No, what is it? Additional $3,000, yeah. yes. Yeah, so yeah. I'll be able to, and then I'll be completely debt-free because I don't have any more credit card debt. I don't have any car loan debt. I don't have any debt whatsoever. And so for the first time since I was 17 years old, I will be debt-free. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, quick question though. So... Um, does this mean that basically by offering a lump sum, your loans aren't in default though? You're not, you haven't missed any payments, like you're current, but yeah. you're going to offer to settle your loans for less and they're going to allow you. That's, a, that's an option. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's a negotiation. Oh. That's, that's, that's the well, damn it, Angela. Where were you a month ago <laughs> when me and my husband dropped 20 G's paying off his student loan debt? Oh, you did? And you didn't, oh, yeah, you could have negotiate for 15% off because they, they're like, I'm getting all my money up front. I didn't know that either. You know, Angela's my secret weapon. Well, not anymore. She's not a secret no more. Well, now I'm just pissed. <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> But yeah, that's, that's, that's what I do. I go in and I negotiate. So, no, we're ready to pay off now. Then they gave us a 30-day window. And we got to pay it because they calculate, you know, at 1.1% the interest rate. So we had to pay it off within the 30-day window to get that um, deduction. Yeah. That's really freaking annoying. Well, the government can just take our coins. <laughs> <sighs> I'm just doing the math. What's 15% of 20,000? Hmm, I know, right? <laughs> it's like 2,500, isn't it? No. 3,000. No. So that's a rent payment, damn it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Pardon my French. Um can we close out with one? I wanna I wanna I wanna answer this question from our listener Michelle because she is a mom and I feel like she speaks for all the parents out there looking at the cost of college going up and their bank account going nowhere and is struggling. So uh, we'll we'll end with this question, Angela. This is from listener listener Michelle. She says, okay. I have three sons. My college-age child graduated from one of the top high schools in our state, so we thought he'd be assisted with scholarships. His class had record numbers of scholarship offers. However, the schools who offered him money still wanted two to three times the amount of the scholarship offered to pay for attendance, so for tuition. We ended up choosing an HBCU 
as a result, thinking that we could handle the bill with financial aid support. We had no idea that the financial aid had changed from when we were children, aside from the fact that I was um, oh, we'll skip that personal detail. Um, we had no idea financial aid had changed from when we were children, so we were unprepared for what happened. The school let him know mid-semester that after attending just eight weeks, that he either had to come up with the money left over for tuition or go home. My child did not tell us until it was too late. He came home for a semester and is planning to attend a local college instead. He's been applying for scholarships without success. While we're concerned about our child, we also have one who may be in a similar situation in just three more years. How do we help get their degrees paid for using your tips? And are there any tips for adults going back to school? Oh, we just tackled this question, so we'll skip that one. So Angela, basically what she's asking is, college is way more expensive than we ever anticipated how do we plan for college expenses now when it's this, when we have one kid in school and one soon to be in college very soon? I, I wish I knew where she reside, but if she can also send her child to Harvard, her child can go to Harvard providing that for free. I love your advice. Providing that she make less than uh, 60 or sixty to $100,000. It was $100,000 that came down to 66000 now. So if she makes... Under $100,000, her child can attend Harvard for free. That pay for their food, their room, and their board. Um, that's one thing that she can do, um, as long as the GPA is, is up to par, at least a 3.0. And if it's not up to a 3.0, then, again, we want to go back to McGraw-Hills and let's work on um, the scholarship. Let's work on your ACT and your SAT scores. Um, but here's another token that they can do. I love AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps is a program where your child can go for 10 months at a time, but you can only do it twice. With this program, the child will go off to, I don't know what state the child may be in, but he will work for the AmeriCorps program, like Habitat for Humanity, build homes and things in that nature. Now, they will pay the child $400 a month in stipend for 10 months. They will also give the child $5,815. So together right there, that's over $1,000. That's over $10,000. Then the following year, they'll do the same thing. So a total of $20,630 is, is um, a nice piece of change to go to college, especially if you're going to a JUCO. And this is not including the ACT or the ACT, because if they rank high on the ACT, of course, they make a 30, a 36 and rank high in percentile. That's $44,000, which is paid at ten dollars to $12,000 interval. Or if they make a 26, you can still get rid for $3,000 a year. So that's still good money. Then you can get into the Phi Beta Kappa program. Those programs will pay you $1,500. The TOPS program will give you $1,800. It depends on your GPA. It depends on your SAT score. So if we start preparing our children and why they're in middle school on how to take the ASAT, the SAT score, the ACT score, keep their GPA up, or to find those big ticket items on what they love to do, um, whether it's playing sports or in a glee club or or being a manager or, or, or English um, or science person, then they can have their loans. I mean, they can have their they can attend college for free. But it depends on the student. It depends on the mother really pushing that child um, to get the right GPA and to get the right ACT and the SAT score, which I feel this mother have because they they received all these beautiful uh, scholarships and they went to, to, to uh, I think you said HBCU. Yeah, they chose an HBCU. Angela, you, you said Harvard, and I, and I want to just go back there because I feel like a lot of families think the Ivy Leagues are out of there. They just assume that they're expensive and don't even try like to apply to the Ivy Leagues, but they have some of the most generous financial aid packages for low-income students, right? And they can actually be really affordable if you've got the yes. good grades. Yeah, you sure can. And and then it would be a blessing to go. Just go and, and, and learn from these scholars. I mean, you're at Harvard and then it's free to you. But then, but you know, take advantage of, of what they what they would give you. Take advantage of, of, of the teachers that's teaching you um, your your career course, you know. So yes, do apply for Harvard, and then also if you're in Ohio, uh, I think it's Bernie Sanders have a I think it's a junior college. I got to Google it for you. I'm sorry, I don't know at the top of my head, but Bernie Sanders has a JUCO that they're allowing the kids to go to school for free. All the junior colleges in in, in the state of Ohio, the kids can go. Uh, to, to school for free. If you're a resident, you got to be a resident, though. 
Um, that's only one drawback on that one. Um, they doing it in New Jersey too, as well. I got to find out. Remember what school that is? I got to look that up, but I can't click on it now. But they they doing one in New Jersey where you can attend school for free. Um, but what I do know for a fact, if they can attend Harvard, if the mom makes under a hundred thousand dollars a year, well, first you got to get into Harvard. <laughs> like first you got to get the grades. Mm-hmm. Yep, you got to get the grades. But from the from the looks of this young man, I believe he has the grades. From what she was stating, he has the grades. Sounds like it. I just it makes me sad to think that all the all that potential. I mean, it's one thing to go to community college to save money. That definitely makes a lot of sense, but it kills me. I, I was one of those kids whose parents didn't know that they could dream that high in terms of being able to afford an Ivy League school. And it was, you know, it was always just I was always told, you know, just go to a state school. And I had a great education still, but I always look back and I think, man, if only we had known the possibility, we we maybe would have taken more shots. Um, or maybe if my – sometimes I feel like the, the counselors at schools even don't know um, or, or like don't want to get children's hopes up so they underestimate um, their potential in a lot of ways. I feel like that was the case. I didn't go to the most amazing public school. Um, and that's – I don't know. It makes me sad that, that there's kids in some schools that aren't getting the encouragement to to shoot for the Ivies or shoot for the, the best schools um, because there's an assumption that like they can't afford it. That's true. You know, you, you, you are absolutely right, Mandy. And they don't push that that knowledge into the students. And they tell them, you know, are you going to the Army? The first place they want to see it. I see it a lot down here in Mississippi. Instead of telling the child, you can yes. go to the school or you can go I think it's a Southern thing, Miss Angela. I think it's the South. Because that was the same way in Georgia. The same way. Yeah. You're right, though. And, and, and then, you know, and, and then all the potential that they have, you know, valedictorians came on the TV uh, last semester. Um, there was two valedictorians. One went to criminal justice. One went to a biology major. One had to pay for college. One had everything paid for free. So came out of the same school. I wanted to know what was the difference. So I went to investigate, started looking at it. Well, the only difference was, was they both valedictorians, but no one pushed the young lady. The other young lady wanted to go, and I'm not criminal justice, but nobody is pushing her and motivating her that she can be something better than what she, <laughs> than what she chosen. I'm not, you know, I'm just saying she could have, she said she wanted to be a nurse, but then you know, she was told nursing was hard, so she didn't she didn't go for nursing. She said she'd do criminal justice. Why? Because my brother did criminal justice and my, my sister did criminal justice. I said, But what do you want to do? I want to do nursing, but my, my parents said they said do criminal justice. Well, I couldn't go, I could not, you know, tell her nothing different, but I, I did tell her to follow your dreams. You're gonna have to follow your dreams one day. Mm-hmm. But it's sad. But yeah, it's it's just sad. Do you also but, charge for pep talks, Angela? Yeah. I know, right? I know. It's, I, it's a passion of mine, Mandy. You know, it is. It's, it's just cow. a passion. It's a passion of mine, and I, I really want to see a lot of children succeed. You know, um, you know, we're down here in Mississippi, and in College Mississippi High School, they don't even have textbooks. They have worksheets, and then I'm in I'm in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, and they have bean bags. They don't even have to sit in a chair. I mean, it's just a big difference, a big divide. And, and so I, I have compassion for uh, financial literacy here uh, in the state of Mississippi. I have compassion to help the underserved communities as it relates to um, attending college debt-free. And that's why I push the AmeriCorps program. Instead of going to work for a chicken plant, instead of going to the hamburger stand, why don't you go to AmeriCorps program? They will pay you $20,630. This is not including your FAFSA, which is $5,815. This is not including your FSCOG grant, which is a federal grant, which is another $4,000. So I've just given you over $44,000 worth of aid right there, and you didn't take out not one loan. Mm. Not one loan did you take out. You can attend college debt-free, but you have to put your mind to it. If you change your mind, you can change your money, you can change your life. But you have to change your mind. It's a money mindset thing. You must change your mind and, and believe in yourself that you can do it. And anything that you say that after I am, you'll do it. And your brain automatically believes it. So if you say, I am victorious, I am a graduate student, I am, I am, I am. And just tell yourself, I am. And these kids can get it done. I am debt free. I am student loan debt free. 
and go to college and do it for free. Miss Angela, I'm passing the collection plate. Mandy, how much you put in this collection plate? <laughs> uh, I'm on the spot. <laughs> no, uh, honestly, now you guys can see why I said that Angela was amazing because it's not just it's not just about like oh basic student loan stuff. Like Angela is passionate about a better life for for kids and women and, and people like us, you know, brown ambition people. Yes. And so, you know, and so I just, I love when I meet someone who puts that above all else, like, how can I help? How can I shift the culture? If you only knew better, you do better. And so that's what I just really love. And Angela, thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to share you with everyone listening because right now I know they're like, oh my goodness, I thought this was just going to be some student loan questions. I didn't know my life was fitting to change. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's, it's truly a pleasure. I enjoy talking about um, student loans. It's, it's, it's just a passion to uh, make sure that we can get as many people as we can out of financial aid prison. And Angela, and, you allow people to schedule, like you can schedule a 20 minute consultation with you, right? Oh, yes, absolutely. So tell people how they can get signed up. So I've got a link to the sign to the to the sign up sheet where you can schedule a free. Is it free? No, ma'am. It's not no, free. okay. No, no. I was going to say, no, no. Well, that wasn't in the fine print. Let's be up. <laughs> no, it's not free. It's a 20-minute consultation. It's, it's $65. That's what it is. And then you're able to discuss your situation to me, and I can tell you the best trajectory that I think that you can um, that you can go into. Now, if you want me to do it for you, then that's another, that's another you know, another information call. But if you want me to just listen to you and give a review of what you have going on and I can direct you in the best possible solution that, um, that we can um, come up with. And what's your website, Angela? Where can people find out more about you? Well, right now it is the Financial Literacy Institute Incorporated.org. It is where it is. So Financial Literacy Institute, I-N-C? I-N-C.org. Okay. All right. I'm going to post a link to that on the site as well. Uh, Angela, thank you so much for for being the star of our student loan episode. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. I truly enjoyed it. And uh, it's been wonderful. And I pray that uh, everybody had their questions answered. I'm going to highlight you tomorrow, Angela, so we can work on, you know, the next steps. Because, you know, we have other business to take care of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, we got to get rid of this, this $17,500. We still, we, it's still in progress. I'll, okay. I'll give you guys an update about it. And we'll do a little happy dance on Brown Ambition when it, when it finally finishes. All right. That sounds like a plan. Hey guys, this is Mandy with a quick recap. We hope you found these tips from Angela Housie super helpful. You can check out her website at financialliteracyinstitute.org. Also, check out the show notes for this week's episode in iTunes or at brownambitionpodcast.com. I've put together a Google Doc, which has a recap of everything we discussed in today's shows with some links to resources, links to websites that you may find useful, um, and the chart that we mentioned where we sort of break down the different income payment um, plans offered by the federal government. Hope you guys found this useful. Again, holler at us at brownambitionpodcast.com with any questions. Yours in Brown Ambition. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.